Hey, welcome to The Craft, where we explore what we're learning about the creative process. I'm Colby, and I'm here with my friend Carter. And today we are talking about a recent creative experiment. So I'm just going to dive right in, man. We were talking the other day, and I remember you asked about, you have a you had a trip coming up where you were going to California, and I want to hear about that in a minute, because I haven't gotten a full recap yet. And you actually mentioned that you were looking to, you were doing the road trip and you had time in the car to think and you wanted to turn this trip into some writing projects afterwards. And so you were asking about, you know, what kind of practice you could do along the trip to kind of make sure you're making a little bit of progress every day. So we talked about it, brainstormed some different ideas together. And I want to talk about what you ended up doing, what that creative experiment was, how it went. And then also you mentioned trying to get some pieces published from this and just doing like a bigger body of writing as kind of a reflection on the trip. So I just wanted to dive into all that stuff today, kind of do like a creative check-in with Carter kind of thing. Yeah, well, let, let me kind of share some more. Where do you want to start? Yeah, let me share some more about the dilemma here, because I think that's kind of interesting as we get into this creative practice. Going out to this International Steinbeck Conference in San Jose, California, decided to drive out there and camp along the way. And so I was, you know, making this trip with kind of some intention. Steinbeck drove across the U.S. in 1960. I wanted to drive across, you know, at least a good portion of the continent on the way to the Steinbeck Conference and, and just kind of see the area of land, especially the American West, which is the region of the U.S. and its literature that my dissertation will engage, I wanted to see it firsthand. So I'd been out to California before, but I hadn't been through right Oklahoma and New Mexico and, and parts of Arizona, you know, briefly. But so I wanted to actually see see the the geography, the aridity, all of these kind of factors that I've been reading so much about uh, as I prepare for my dissertation. We kind of want to get eyes on the ground. But the question was, how do I document to write a piece of travel writing for this? Because I pretty much resonate with what Steinbeck said, which is he has a hard time writing as a journalist would, write hot on the matter. He said in Travels with Charlie that he has to let things kind of ferment and percolate. I actually just read a, a line from Walden where Thoreau says, he needed time for thoughts to take root and unfold themselves. And I kind of feel that same way. So the question was, do I take notes? Do I write poems? Do I, you know, what kind of notes? Are they bullet notes? Like, what am I trying to capture? Because I think a difficult part of trying to, you know, characterize a trip is you don't just want to list the facts. I stayed here. I did this. Right? You're trying to see what thread pulls them all together. And that's really difficult to see when you're in the moment. Sometimes, I think sometimes it, it really stands out, but sometimes I think it's very difficult. And so I was really, you know, I wasn't sure what to do and I came to you. <laughs> do you remember Do you remember anything about that conversation or, or, or kind of how that went? Yeah, I think we were on the phone and I said, I what came to mind was a idea from Rick Rubin because we've been talking about him a lot recently. I don't remember if I got this from the Creative Act book or from a podcast interview. It might have been the interview that I listened to recently. But regardless, he mentioned this idea of just reducing 
whenever you have like a creative block, one of the things you can do is reduce the problem down to its very smallest form. Like you're trying to think about a seed of a problem. And so the way that he would do this with, if he's working with an artist, like a singer or songwriter who's struggling to push through a creative block, he'll say, okay, I need you to go home. I need you to think for a bit. And your assignment is to come home, come back to the studio tomorrow with one good word, one word that you love. That's it. That's the whole assignment, not a melody, not a verse, not a, you know, chord progression, just one good word. And it's the smallest seed of that idea that then you can take, okay, now go find another good word. And then maybe you could expand it to one sentence and then a couple sentences, and then you have a verse. But it's like literally breaking everything down to just yeah. one small thing. And if that one small thing is too overwhelming, then you can, you know, try to come up with 10 to make that, to then find the one good one. But yeah, that that's kind of what I shared with you. And then, yeah, how did that hit you? Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. That was the connection between what Hemingway uh, wrote in A Movable Feast where he said, and we've read this on the podcast before, all you have to do is write one true sentence. Write the truest sentence that you know, right? And then he says, you know, you'll go on from there. And those, it's kind of a light bulb moment for me. And so that that became the creative practice of trying to distill each day of this trip. And I think it ended up being eight days in all, on the road, camping, doing a bunch of different things in different places, going to the conference. It ended up being kind of the perfect practice for me because it gave me the constraints that I needed, right? I didn't want to sit down, you know, and try to journal necessarily because I think in some ways it's difficult to, it's difficult to know where to go. But I kind of approached this as an act somewhere between prose and poetry, where I wanted to give a a sentence that somehow captured a moment during that day, or a sentence that could work as, you know, if I was going to write a travel piece, you know, this would be a great first sentence for a section or for the piece itself. And so it was really trying to write an interesting, compelling, you know, poetic sentence. And that was kind of the right balance, because it still allowed me to be very much present where I was. It wasn't like this task that drew me away from the event itself or from, you know, setting up things or getting someplace, right? It wasn't too bearing, but it it was enough to say, I've got this kind of particular feeling right now. Can I try to bottle that up? And so it was really helpful in that way. Uh, and so it became a practice that I would do every day and send them to you. <laughs> they were coming your way. That's right. Yeah, it's cool to see that you kind of got to, that you went through with it. I'm curious, like set the scene for me, like where, when did you do it? What time of day? Where, you know, were you in the car? Was it just on your phone? What did that process look like? Yeah, so a lot of, a lot of driving time, a lot of windshield time. It's about 34 hours out there one way and then that way back. And so sometimes... <laughs> You know, oftentimes it was in the car, and you know, I I may read a couple of these because I think it kind of gives a, I don't know, I think it kind of paints a bit of a narrative. And so yeah. the first one I, I found, I was driving. This is the first day driving across Oklahoma. Beautiful sunset. 
everything's flat, <laughs> very much flat on the on the western part of Oklahoma past the 100th meridian. And I was listening to, and I've listened to just about everything on my phone, it was Johnny Cash's album where he's singing gospel hymns. And so he's he's singing when the roll gets called up yonder. And so I'm hearing this, it's a beautiful sunset here happening, I'm driving, and I just pass a couple of signs for Jesse James's hideout, the famous cave. And this actually, you know, this actually might have been in Missouri. I think it was in Missouri, but I might have been thinking about it in Oklahoma, but it was within that kind of stretch of the Midwest. And so I end up writing for the first sentence, I wonder if Jesse James ever watched that big Missouri sky and wondered what it would look like rolled up like a scroll. And so it was it was kind of this first combination of a lofty thought in a unfamiliar place. So it's kind of strange to have Jesse James thinking about eschatology, uh, but at the same time, you can't help but think about final things when you're under such a big sky. And so I was just putting those together in a way that was almost kind of um, mm-hmm. in a bit playful in a way on this, and it kind of carried my mood of it. Two things that I found compelling in the day met together. And so that was that was the first sentence. Any thoughts on, mm-hmm. on that? You don't have to have thoughts, but that at least kind of gives you a sense of the practice. A lot of times it was me seeing things, putting them together, thinking about what they might mean. I mean, some of these are much more descriptive of places, but that one was, I mean, it was full of that adventure mm-hmm. of I'm just setting out on the road, right? I've been driving for 10 hours across the American West. There's this like romance to it. And there's this kind of hitting the open road and the, the outlaw that's that's free, you know, all these kind of classic Americana myths that you just can't shake and you feel it kind of down in your bones when you're listening to Johnny Cash sing. And so it kind of it kind of fulminated all, I think, the energy of that first day. Yeah, I think it's cool that as I look through, I hadn't, I just got all these, you know, you texted them to me a minute ago. And so now I have them all like in one place, yeah. in one message. And so I can see them all. And it's interesting to see like the, you have one sentence, you have one chance to sort of pull together as much descriptiveness. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't just, wait for the second or third sentence to to fit in this other idea. You have to condense. And I think that's cool to see how you're writing in this first sentence. For example, you've got Jesse James, you have the big Missouri sky, and then you have this hymn idea of, and like biblical idea, like rolling up like a scroll, like the sky rolling up. And so you have all these different images and ideas that you had to squeeze into one sentence. And I think that it helps. Well, I have a question, but I, I just appreciate that as you look through these, maybe we can read a couple more, but there's so much descriptiveness packed into a small sentence and it's just a little vignette. I don't know if that's actually the right word, but it's just a little snapshot basically of what you saw that day. And that's, you did a great job of capturing those moments. But what I'm curious about then is, how do you take these sentences? Uh, where do you, how do you think that they're going to fit in? Maybe you don't know yet. To like a travel piece is and and when you were writing these, like was the intention to capture 
the feeling, capture a thought or an idea? Like how is that supposed to tie in, you think, for your larger goal of getting to this sort of travel writing piece? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And so I think I wanted to read the day one one just because I think it kind of shows where I was at at that point. But things change Mm -hmm. as it moves along. And so I end up getting this really interesting record because I can look back and and kind of tell within these sentences what were the focal points. So I don't know how this would develop completely, you know, and may become a couple different pieces. But one of the most memorable parts of this trip is I got to go see the home of the poet Robinson Jeffers, who my dissertation will be about. And if you haven't checked out Tor House, T-O-R House, you need to do a Google search at some point because it's it's remarkable. It's a stone house and tower that he built with his own hands and that he lived there with his wife two sons. And this is where he wrote his poetry. And it's perched right at Carmel by the sea, right on the edge, looking out over the Pacific Ocean. And it's just this remarkable place. And I was able to go there and met a great guy, uh, their program director, Tom. And he gave me this personal tour because I was writing the dissertation. And it was a stormy day. And so we're inside of this stone house, which is I've read about for years. And all of a sudden, I'm standing here. And it's wild. Here's Jeffers' house, and like down the street, Brad Pitt just bought a house for $20 million or something like that. And so the, the little portion of Carmel, like Clint Eastwood used to be the, the mayor of Carmel or, or something like that. And so it's, it's this very affluent place oh, now. Whoa. But here's this ancient, <laughs> it looks ancient at least, stone structure in this tower based off of, I believe it was their travels in Ireland that he built. And so we're inside, it's stormy, the wind's hitting the house, and we climb up the very top of this tower. And you really have to kind of see a picture of it to, to get it. And we go up, and Tom is showing me, you know, the secret passage he made for his wife to get up to the, the room that he built for. Her. And then we climb to the very top, and there's this, this, this chain link that we kind of come up, and we get to the top, and the wind's blowing. And Tom says, yeah, that little seat right there, it's where Jeffers used to sit and watch the sunset when he had his glass of red wine and cigarette. And it was just like, we're standing up there together, the salt and the sea, and I'm here at the place where one of my literary heroes would think and compose. And it was just one of those kind of surreal moments. And so this this sentence came out like this. A gust of Pacific wind tinged with salt hits my face as I watch the breakers from Hawk Tower, the same perch where Jeffers watched the sunset with his glass of red wine and cigarette. And so that that right there, that moment, right, I think would be enough to compel a piece, right? Lead into that, right? So mm-hmm. begin with my journey getting there. I went through this massive storm. I didn't know if I was going to get there on time, if we'd even be able to have the tour, you know, thinking about, you know, my own plans, and it was kind of a you know an off the road plan for this trip, but then actually getting mm-hmm. there, meeting Tom, seeing the place, and thinking about key themes from Jeffers. So he was attuned to the frailty and the ephemeral nature of human life. Right? He writes a, a poem called "Stone Cutters," where he's like, "These stones are so much longer and more substantial than our." frail human lives. And so being there with Jeffers gone 
in this wind and the rain beating the house, just like he said it would when he was gone. It opens up mm-hmm. all sorts of avenues to think about human life and to think about dwelling because, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, where he, it's where he raised his kids and they had uh, little mottos written on the wall and carved in places and friends would bring them stones and he would put them into his wall, like something from Europe or something from, I think he had something from, it might have been from his, I don't know. Across the world, people would bring him like little stone mementos or pieces of cathedrals, and he'd kind of incorporate them in his wall. And he had his bulldog that was buried right outside, and, and his poem is a little elegy that he'd written for the bulldog. And I mean, just a place that every little bit of it said a family lived here. And so it was so compelling. And so I tried with that sentence to capture that to some degree, a moment. But how that develops, it's kind of like a word chart. Or I get students to do a concept chart. Here's the central moment. What was so special about that moment? And then all of a sudden, there's there's lines coming out everywhere. The idea of dwelling. What does that mean? The idea of nature's power, our place in that. What does that mean? Right. The idea of the poet's mm. approach to nature. What can that look like? The limitations. All these things just kind of expand from it. So I don't know where that'll go. But that was that was an actual moment here that was very visceral. And so things shifted too. I mean, later in the week, you know, I start really sensing, you know, I'm missing Cassie, I'm missing being at home, but been gone for, you know, almost a week, driving through these redwoods, and I get a, a much greater sense of you know, kind of my frailty. And in, in day five, that's kind of what's going through when I'm talking about the redwoods and being soaked in rain and I'm cold and I'm lost at night trying to find this campground, right? And and it just reminds you that, you know, things aren't as clean cut and into places they are in our day-to-day lives. And when you get out of those routines, things hit you that feel a lot more chaotic. Mm. That was a lot. I just threw There's something about travel that does that. For sure. There's something about the open road, the big sky, the big trees, whatever it may be, just that I, for me, like getting in an airplane is a very creative moment, but also just a bit, a lot of time spent considering my lifespan <laughs> and just, you know, the frailty of life for sure. I can relate to that. Well, that's what um, I was going to ask you about. Cause I know that like kind of airports being in the air always seems to kind of get some fresh inspiration with you. What do you think it is about that? I don't know. I mean, I think nature does too, man, but I think it's there's something about getting up at 30,000 feet and seeing everything and being like, "Whoa, there's it's the it's the we use that metaphor all the time, here's oh, yeah, 30,000 yeah. foot view on this project or whatever, but it's it's truly looking at the world and saying, "Whoa, everything is tiny. We're ants. Those cars are ants, the houses are ants, and this world's huge and it puts you in your place and it's sort of smushes the ego down in a good way and just is like, I'm not as important as I think day to day, but I'm also grateful for, you know, being alive and being able to be on this flight. And I think that's sort of what happens for me. And and also there's just something about seeing nature too and seeing it from that perspective above is really cool. But going back to what you said, I mean, you just dropped a lot of really good stuff in there, man. I mean, first of all, the day four, I think there's something that happens whenever you hear the story behind these two. Yeah. Like they're beautiful in their own right, but then you, it's like these are, I have this image. I don't know if it's going to come across or if this will fall flat, but like I'm picturing almost 
it's, this is a storyboard, you know, where it's like, there's a beautiful picture of Pacific wind, sea salt, the Hawk tower, you know, the image of red wine and cigarettes, right? If you click on that storyboard, you know, and imagine what the final product in a movie would look like, your first storyboard is going to just be like a sketch to show the concept. And then the, the movie is going to have color and sound and music and bring it to life and slow-mo. And it's like, that's sort of what happened in my mind when I was hearing you tell this story is like, this story took me to that full-blown 3D experience of imagining the red wine and the cigarettes and the sunset and the sea salt hitting my face. But the sto- but the sentence itself is really just a storyboard and is the jumping off point for you. And so I look at these, yeah. you know, 10 or eight days and these eight sentences as, as like eight different snapshots and you can hit play on that movie and really expand what That's happened. That's great. In longer That's a great metaphor. Later. And I think, like you're saying, they're kind of like ignition. It's like a little bit of fuel. Like if I was to come yeah. back to this, pick any one of these, and I could say, okay, like just like what you said, let me fill this out. And so let's maybe that's the creative practice, mm-hmm. why this is so helpful, is that any one of these I could read and then start, right? It gives me a direction mm-hmm. to come at something, and it's involved with all these other things, but it's that ignition that sparks, that brings me back to that moment, that allows me to kind of start to dredge up maybe that thing which, you know, Steinbeck or Thoreau says needs to unfold or ferment. It reminds me of what we talked about in the last episode where we did that Rick Rubin chapter on crafting. It was like, he said something like, once you have your first idea and you kind of choose like, okay, I'm going, going east or whatever it is, you pick your direction, then you have eliminated a lot of other stress and decision-making and you can just, it's all about refining and iterating and improving it. So like with one of these sentences, you've picked your topic. Totally and your general feeling. And then you just, you have to craft and expand out from there. And like you said, with that word chart idea, go where does, what other topics does this take me to, but you already know the direction. And so that's a, that just makes me think for myself, how could I use this? Like maybe writing music or that's probably the main way, just writing stuff. How could I take splatter down a bunch of different ideas and then, take those individual things and say, okay, I'm going to make some headway in this direction on idea five or whatever it may be. Dude, you know? I love this so much. And, you know, I think it's one of those things where like as a creative practice, it's so helpful to just get something down, right? That thing which condenses the yeah. direction because then you can go back to it. And so a big part of this was like not having to take mm-hmm. an entire hour to write out something, but take 10, 15 minutes. I mean, sometimes it was even faster than this. And sometimes I would iterate, you know, I'd have it, then I'd work it throughout the day. Like I would try a couple of different versions of it. The one with the skull rock, I did a couple of different versions of that. And it is like, it's, it's, it's like a condensed version. It's like a bag of tea that you're like, okay, it's time to write. You throw the bag of tea in, in the hot water. And then it's so dense, like it starts to I don't know, expand in that way. Um, and a lot of this practice, you know, Hemingway talks about the one sentence, but also just with my, within my reading recently, 
a lot of the early 20th century poets, there's a, a, there's a significant movement called imagism. And one of its kind of key proprietors was William Carlos Williams. And he writes these gorgeous, sometimes very small poems. And, and here's one I'll read to you. It's called Silence. Under a low sky, this quiet morning of red and yellow leaves stands a break. A bird disturbs no more than one twig of the green-leaved peach tree. And that's it. And so it's, it's this condensed moment where you've got a quiet morning, you've got red and yellow leaves, you've got a bird that disturbs no more than one twig. And that's it, right? And so it's, it was this attempt to poetically say, can I strip everything down to a couple key images and then let those images invoke in the audience something that brings them to the actual place. And so, you know, I do wonder if this could be a creative practice that you could see perhaps with songwriting or with, you know, if there's a little snippet of a melody and it's not a whole melody. I don't know. Is there is there a way to pull this practice of trying to get a couple key images as a writer? Is there a way to kind of pull this in music? I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, it actually kind of feels like what I'm doing right now. So I've got a project where I'm doing intro music for a podcast. And I started by a couple of days ago just making four ideas. And they were all a little bit different, different sounds on each one, different chord progressions. Some had melodies, some didn't. Some I went a little further and fleshed them out more than others. But they were like 15 to 30 minutes probably on each idea. So really... I think of these as like the Pixar, like the piece of paper, or sorry, the uh, the rough sketch on a napkin of what a Pixar movie would be. There's no color, no shape yet, no animation. It's just a napkin sketch. But I took those four ideas, got some feedback today. I was like, hey, like idea three, let's start to roll with that. Or I like that one the most. So then that was helpful for me to be like, okay, so now I can take those sounds. Maybe I can make my idea is to then go back to that I, third idea I had, take the same sounds and just make like three to five variations of it, like different melodies, different chords, different tempos. And just like you said, bad, bad ideas maybe, but just throw them down and then get another round of feedback. And then, so it's like, throw out those other three directions and just focus on this one right now and then expand it. I'm excited. I think that it, so far it was really helpful because it's instead of me buckling down and making this really, you know, fully produced like song, it's supposed to be a three minute song, but I'm just starting with like making a 20 or 30 sec second section of the song. And then if that goes well, then I'll make a few more. And then if that goes well, then I'll actually say, okay, of the next five, I would anticipate we pick, like, let's say we pick the next one, it's option four or something, then I would probably, the next step would be to build out the full song, like a verse and chorus in different sections, and I want it to be about three minutes, I think. So I'm excited to try that. It kind of feels like I'm already doing it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great example. And I mean, the thing that keeps coming up, and you mentioned this already, is that you've got to kind of figure out where you're not going to go before you can have, I mean, the, yeah. I have to know the million things I'm not going to talk about before I talk about the red and yellow leaves and the bird disturbing the leaf of the peach tree, right? I mean, that's like, what I love about imagism is that it's like, 
keep saying like, it pulls us in to an extremely narrow and pinpoint place in time and also in in our experience. And so another imagist, I think you'd consider him an imagist, E.E. E. Cummings, it's got some some really fascinating poems about the moment, I can't remember what it's called, but a blackbird crosses the sun. And he writes this this poem that that basically just breaks down that fraction of a second where it's moving across this. And so in that, hmm. I love the way that you said this is you've got four versions because you know how much it takes to flesh out and give substance to a rough draft, right? You can't pursue all of them right now, but then you pick one and then you yeah. iterate on it and then you pick one of those iterations and then you iterate on it again. And then all of a sudden you're dealing with a set of choices that's much smaller than this this almost unmanageable potentiality that you're staring out in the beginning. I think the hard part is getting it with the the whole bad draft concept yeah. is being comfortable with that idea. And you have to really turn your edit and revise brain off. And that's where the self-talk is important. Am I ripping it apart or worrying about if you're if you're around other people like for me it's easier to do that when I'm by myself than with other people cuz you want to I want to go on that defense of qualifying like well, we're going to change this sound. That's not the yeah. final snare yeah. we're going to use because I just see the imperfections. Yeah. But it's all, it's really interesting because you don't always, uh, It's if you're too close to it, I think, and as a writer, as a musician or whatever, your craft is, if you're too close to it, you're only going to see the flaws. But if you're not too close to it, someone else might hear those four or five ideas and be like, oh yeah, those are all right. And, and, I like number threes. And then you roll with that and you have to have a really positive attitude of just like, Hey, I'm just screwing around right now, throwing ideas down and we'll see what sticks. But I'm not concerned about making this beautiful thing right now. I'm just concerned about pretty much putting some bricks down and we'll see what happens later. You know, we're not, it's a different mindset than when you're on your third version and you're refining it and you're making harder decisions about it in detailed decisions. I think that's what's hard for me. That's the first principle, create, right? You're not in revise yet of the creative first principles. And it's it's hard to kind of resist that jump. But here's the other problem with it. Sometimes it feels like you can't know if an idea is good or not unless it's really produced. True. Like I could have a cool idea, but it falls completely flat because it's sure. just not... I mean, it's the difference of, as a practical example, if I'm playing a guitar part, but I have none mm. of the effects on, and it's like, that, that doesn't really sense. sound good. And then I put on a plug-in, and it's like, boom, all of a sudden, there's all these effects, and it comes to life, and you're like, oh, that's what you're envisioning. And the difference there is huge. But ultimately, the seed of the idea was just what I played on the guitar, even if I wasn't even plugged in, you know? So that's what I wrestle with, is... Am I selling myself short here by not producing too much or am I overthinking it because now I'm spending four hours on an idea? Oh, I don't even want to do this. I'm throwing it away. And then I'm discouraged. You know, it's all about momentum and like staying positive and like 
open to new yeah, ideas. Yeah, and I, I think, think you got to, too, and I 100% agree with this, I think you, too, have to kind of have your radar on to something that strikes you. Because I feel like I hear all these songwriters or musicians who are like, yeah, I just had this little lick, like it's six or seven notes, and I really like this. And then it, you know, that becomes Hotel California, or that becomes... Yeah, I feel like I've heard multiple musicians say this, where especially guitarists, they have one like chord progression that they really like, and they just obsess over it again and again and again and again, and then that gives them at least a, you know a workable amount of parameters to then go through different iterations. So I think part of it is out of the things that you're creating, right? You're trying to generate, generate, generate. What's what's trying to grab you? At least this is how I feel like it has to work for me with poetry. Like I have a very hard time hmm. saying, I'm going to write a poem. Like I don't ever do that really mm-hmm. or very rarely and it's not productive. But if I'm reading a lot and I'm trying to pay attention to what's happening, things just grab me, right? I think I shared the other day about the the, the small poem about giddiness, right? It just hit me. And, and you know, it, trying to be sensitive to, I think, the small, like, just nutshells of something, I think sometimes that'll help because maybe you don't like it as it is, but you do like it. And so then you can go through five or six iterations with it maybe that feels more productive than feeling scattered in that. And so I think as, and I don't have an answer to the tension. I think it's absolutely a tension that you bring up, but as you're working through, do I produce this or not? Like, do you even like it? I mean, I think it's a nice thing to say. Like, Mm. is there anything interesting about it that, that you feel like kind of seizes you? Because at least for me, it's Mm -hmm. difficult to move forward if something doesn't have, if I can't, and this is, I think what Hemingway is trying to get at. If you can't, condense it down to that one true sentence that you know punches you in the nose if you can't do that mm-hmm. then it's going to be difficult to develop all those extremities that are just like you know icing on a bad cake or something yeah no it's the i've heard the uh songwriter description of like the meat and potatoes like this song needs to sound good with an acoustic guitar and if it does then you can throw on every production bell and whistle you want, but you need to be able to strip it down to the meat and potatoes, guitar, the voice, yeah. whatever that may be. And the idea, or maybe in writing, it's just, is this a good idea? Like, is it worth writing about? I think that there's something to that big question. Do I like this? Is there something here? That's helpful. And sometimes things seem yeah. like a good idea at the time. <laughs> I've read stuff in a yeah. workshop and I've read... I've read the first sentence of a draft and said, that's an awful first sentence. Like right then, like I read it out loud and I'm like, <laughs> like that's awful. But that's the thing is sometimes you don't know if it's just you getting in the way yeah. in that moment. And then later you look back and you're like, whoa, this is interesting. Other times it's like, oh man, this is so cheesy. <laughs> yes. And it's like, Maybe you should just stop that because yeah, it's yeah. too cheesy, but maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should just make it and be okay with that because it's not like you're putting this on, you know, your this isn't your magnum opus necessarily. Sure, sure. You know, it's a draft. So yeah. anything else you want to share about this experiment? I'm really excited to hear where it goes with yeah. the bigger writing piece. 
Maybe we do a check in later on that. But anything else? Yeah, I'll share. I'll share one last thing before we wrap this one. This is the last entry, and I think this really kind of shows the difference between day one and day eight. Backstory: I left California at lunchtime, twelve o'clock, in San Jose. I drove until four a.m. and then slept for an hour and a half at a truck stop. In, Cal- in Colorado, and then I got <laughs> driving again. And so I wrote this sentence around 7 a.m., I think, that day, just exhausted. And it's it was cold. It was like 30 degrees. I mean, it was really cold in the car because it's like I drove through this place in Utah that was like 5 degrees outside, but thankfully it warmed up. Some of it was like 30 there. And so I'm driving through these mountains and I kind of work this over. So, tempered blue steel in the pre-dawn light, the snow-covered faces of Colorado mountains stare into my tired eyes with terrible silence. And I was kind of struck when I came back to this one about how inhospitable things felt. Right? I'm tired. There's these beautiful mountains, but they're you know, in this part, it was arid. It was this strange color in the pre-dawn light. It had this blueness to it, but it was hard and there was no place to kind of latch on. So the day before when I was in California, I was riding about the green hills and there's this sage and there's these this lavender plants on the hills. And then I get to this point where like physically I'm driving home and I'm so exhausted and I look to these mountains and they're silent right it's like i'm too tired to kind of engage them and they're just looming over me and everything's quiet and i don't think i i may not even had music on at that point because i've listened to everything and you know i just i just want to get home and it's silent and so i yeah. think it was just kind of a nice way to look back over the whole sentences and see how different that is from jesse james thinking mm. about the scroll rolling up under and this kind of this exuberant young energy that's freshly hitting the road and leaving in my kind of academic post for a bit, and then this me driving through Colorado on no sleep in a cold dawn, and then this kind of silence of the mountains as they just, they're not tired. They've been there as long as they've been there. And so it's like there's there's nothing kind of resounding back in that moment. So I just, I thought that was mm. kind of neat because you can really trace the trip in these sentences. And to connect back to the creative process, I really think this has been an awesome practice. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to continue to see, you know, I'm going to see how this works and translating to a longer writing piece. I think I've kind of got the ignition or the fuel with these sentences that I think I can really expand on. But maybe it's kind of like a, a, a nitty gritty takeaway is try to see what practices you can use to condense things. I really like that. I mean, Rick Rubin, the, all, the whole idea of the one word, I mean, that was, that was, mm-hmm. that's right on, I think. And if that's what it looks like for you, then do it. I mean, I had a word bivouac, which is like shelter. It was really important to me because, you know, I was mm-hmm. out in a tent and it was storming and this sort of things. It's kind of rang in my mind. And yeah. And so I don't know. Creative practice, look for ways to condense and feel free if what you condense is no good, <laughs> right? Throw it out because, you know, I'm committed to those, not very much. I wrote one sentence, right? If I want mm-hmm. to totally rewrite that sentence, I will. 
because there's not the commitment. If you write, if you wrote ten pages, then you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to just throw it all out. But if I just wrote a sentence, I can toss mm. it. Yeah, that's great. I think that's a great note to end on. Thanks for sharing about how it felt, and I'm inspired, and I definitely think it'll be something I'll use and continue to use. So, thanks for sharing that, man. I think that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for listening to The Craft with Carter and Colby, where we share what we're learning about the creative process. If you're a writer, music producer, marketer, filmmaker, photographer, or you just love creativity, then this show is for you. Our cover art was designed by Elizabeth Newell. You can learn more about her work at elizabethnewelldesign.com. That's Elizabeth, N-E-W-E-L-L, design.com. And you can follow her on Instagram at Elizabeth is a designer. If you like the show, there's three things you can do to help us out. First, subscribe so you learn when we post new episodes. Second, send the link to one of your friends who you think would enjoy the show. Uh, Really, word of mouth is going to be the the number one way we grow the show in any way. And three, if you have a topic you want us to cover or feedback about how we can improve the show or comments on what we've said, you can respond to heycraftpodcast at gmail.com. H-E-Y-C-R-A-F-T podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.